Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is the first official new show of 2019. I'm super excited to have you guys all back for another year. Uh, I can't believe how many shows I've recorded in just in working on those two mashups that I brought to you the first part of January. It made me realize just how many fantastic conversations, just how much incredible expertise has been disseminated over the last uh, just over two and a half years. And I can't believe this July we'll be celebrating our third birthday. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sharing various episodes with friends, family, and clients. And here is to another fantastic year of learning, collaboration, wonderful offers to help make your low-tox swaps a little easier on the wallet and uh, and just just being able to pick the incredible brains that we have access to by bringing you this show. So my first show this year is with the wonderful Dr. Vincent Pedre. He is New York-based and uh, is a wealth of information on all things gut. He has a wonderful book called The Happy Gut and uh, really played a, an important role in helping people realize that the word gut wasn't a a bad word or an ugly word or didn't refer to something yucky or like being huge in the belly or anything like that, but that the gut and gut health really were um, the most important things that we could be focusing on in today's uh, health crises that so many people uh, are either directly experiencing or know someone who is. And uh, and today we talk about the gut. We also talk about integrative healthcare. We talk about uh, how he became so passionate about gut health himself and we talk about how science very much can meet woo-woo to create the most powerful outcomes for people. I'm also really excited that we managed to fit in there a bit of discussion around mold, illness and SIRS. So enjoy that and uh, I want to just remind you that you have another couple of weeks to make the most of the offer from the Natural Bedding Company. Uh, we have 10% off for you guys from all of their, uh, their natural latex mattresses, overlays and pillows. It does exclude cots and bassinets, but your code is LOWTOXBEDS. Do yourselves a favor and get yourself a fantastic mattress this year. As I've said each week in the show notes, I also have uh, details on how you can get your mattress almost 100% repurposed with professional companies that do that for you to not feel so bad about um, having to let go of your old mattress if this is something you're really passionate about upgrading this year. I can't tell you how important it is given we sleep with our hot little bodies squished up against these things for six to nine hours a night. You really want to make sure what you're sleeping against is the best quality possible. I personally adore latex and uh, I think you might too if you give it a try. So the Natural Bedding Company, all the details are on the show notes for Australian residents. Your code, the 10% off and um, how to uh, repurpose your current mattress. So now that I've remembered to mention those guys, I think it's time to crack on with this incredible conversation around gut health and more. Enjoy, guys. Dr. Pedre, how are you? I am great. That's good. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm really excited for our chat. I've been following your work for a little while on the, on the gram and, uh, and I always love um, the philosophical tangents you go down. I think I seem to be gravitating towards practitioners who 
think much bigger picture than uh, prognoses and test markers and, you know, quite granular stuff, but who incorporate the big picture in the work they do. And I thank you for doing your work. Um, thank you. It's, uh, it, we could start in so many places, but I think for those who are listening today who don't know you, it might just be really great to start having a chat about how you became to be a gut-loving, championing physician yourself. <laughs> well, as it turns out, the, I never really thought, actually, when I was in my medical training, there were many other specialties that called to me. And the gut, the digestive system was definitely not one of them. I did not think of it as, as very attractive, uh, as attractive as the lungs or the heart, uh, you know, and it seemed like everybody had forgotten how important uh, the digestive system is. And yet I had grown up with my own digestive challenges that had become so background during my training that I thought that was normal, you know, or I just, or let's just say, I thought that that was my normal. I knew it wasn't everybody's normal, but I just thought, okay, this is the way my body operates. Mm. And we have all, all experienced that to some degree. Yeah. Mm. And, and the thing is that the, the, my belly or my, you know, my gut has always been the barometer of my feelings, of my my instincts. Uh, so I was very sensitive there as a child. And whenever I had a test or if I, I used to perform the piano, I would feel butterflies in my stomach. But, you know, it felt more like somersaults yeah, yeah. inside my stomach. So I always had that very powerful connection with my gut. Uh, but it became very sensitive as a teenager. And I had been, um, I also had what the doctors felt was a, uh, a weak immune system. Right. Hello. So yeah. I was on antibiotics after antibiotics after antibiotics. In fact, back then, and this is pre HIV epidemic, I was sometimes so sick that even with the antibiotic, I wasn't getting better. Um, it was practice back then to give gamma globulin shots. Oh, wow. So basically, so basically a shot of pooled um, immunoglobulins from people that they had, you know, had donated blood, let's say. And thank God this was pre-HIV epidemic where yeah. we didn't, you know, that we weren't screening the blood for that. Um, but I didn't get any, I didn't get any infectious disease from that. But my immune system was weak because my gut microbiome had been decimated. Mm. And I was on probably two or three rounds of antibiotics every year as a teenager. So was I. You know, count that, yeah. you know, count that through six or seven years. In retrospect, I had developed leaky gut syndrome mm. and multiple food sensitivities, but primarily to the two biggest food groups in my diet, which were wheat, mm -hmm. which is also gluten, yeah. and dairy. Yeah. And I mean, my, my breakfast back then when I was a kid was a wheat cereal, probably really high in sugar with milk. Yeah. Uh, hello. Was that was everybody's breakfast <laughs> in the 80s. Yeah. 
And uh, and then I was probably having, you know, not every day, but some days for lunch, maybe some sort of uh, like filled pastry or a sandwich. And then maybe at night after dinner, I, I was I would have a bowl of ice cream, mm-hmm. you know, so my, my and maybe some bread with dinner. Uh, and my grandmother was constantly baking me cakes she yeah. loved to, she loved, loved, loved to spoil me with uh, these cakes that she would make. So I was, my, my life was filled with wheat, sugar, and dairy. And throw in all the antibiotics, and I was just a setup for developing leaky gut syndrome and food sensitivities. And, and basically, my microbiome was wiped out. Mm. And the biggest thing on my mind was, well, how do I make my immune system stronger? I couldn't gain weight. The doctors told my parents, you need to put him on a multivitamin. <clears throat> and I took the multivitamin. And of course, nothing really changed because what needed to change was my gut. Mm. And no one was quite getting it. You know, no one knew. Yeah. Nobody knew back then. But around the time I went to medical school, just somewhat accidentally, I changed my diet because I wasn't able to sit and have uh, cereal with milk in the morning because I just had to run out the door. Yeah. So dairy kind of started making its way out of the diet. And I noticed that I wasn't getting sick as often. Mm-hmm. And I was always looking for a way to correlate, like, what am I doing that maybe is weakening my immune system? Now, little did I know that dairy was a big sensitivity for me. And that was part of the, the reason that my immune system, it's almost like my immune system was offline or sometimes what the way I like to describe it, you know, since I'm I live in the U.S., so I can use, you know, the it's like you're fighting the war in Afghanistan. Mm. We all know that war has gone on forever. Yeah. But if you're all your troops are in Afghanistan, then they can't pay attention to an invasion coming in from another place. Yeah. And that's what was happening with my immune system. My immune system was um, con- under constant attack in my digestive system. So if a virus was coming in through the sinuses, through the nasal passages, uh, there just wasn't enough to go around to be able to ward that off. Mm. So I wasn't, and even with all that, I wasn't particularly interested in the gut until I started learning functional medicine. Now, I did know that I wanted to be an integrative physician, that I wanted to use holistic means to heal the body. Oh, really? And, and how, did, how did you find out about that? How did that come into your consciousness? That came about kind of out of necessity mm-hmm. in a way because of another challenge that I faced. Yeah. And it was a more, more immediate challenge when I was um, in my, doing my pre-medical uh, studies in college. Uh, I knew that there was a big issue I had to face if I was going to become a doctor. And I honestly didn't know. It was kind of like the elephant in the room, but I kept putting it off and off and off Mm. uh, because it's like I didn't want to disappoint my parents. And there was a big passion in me. I love science and I love people. So medicine was like the the perfect marriage of those two except for this one little issue. And it was that I was deathly afraid of needles. Uh (laughs) So here you have a kid that wants to become a doctor 
and I can barely be in the same room with a needle. Really? <laughs> so how did you go cutting open cadavers and stuff like that? Was that fine? Well, that was, so that's fast forward. So in between. Yeah. So this was, uh, I was still in college mm -hmm. and I actually finished a uh, semester early. So I finished in three and a half years instead of four years. Is that and because you were super smart? <laughs> it, it may be on multiple levels because I was in Ithaca, New York, yeah. and the winters there, if you know upstate New York, I the do. winter yep. there, and that is in the snow belt. Mm. So, and I grew up in Miami, Florida. Oh, wow. That's a bit of a So change. I was dying to get, by my third winter there, I'm like, I cannot live through another winter yep. like this. This is way too much for me. So I figured out that I had enough credits from, um, that I had acquired from high school that I could graduate in one semester of my senior year. So I packed on all sorts of courses, including a cooking class at the hotel school. <laughs> so, and a wine tasting course so that I could graduate in one semester. Such a well-rounded doctor. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, you know what I joke about uh, with people, I'm like, you know, all those biology and pre-med stuff, it was important. But the one course that I still use today mm -hmm. is my cooking class. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> that taught me how to cut onions and garlic and, and whatnot. So I finished early and I'm thinking, okay, I need to face this elephant in the room. I've got to figure out how I conquer, you know, because I would pass out anytime my blood was taken, anytime I had a vaccine, I'm on the floor. Mm-hmm. So I start researching, okay, what is it that's happening to me? And I start learning about the autonomic nervous system. And in that time, I'm, I'm going to the library and, and the bookstore and picking out books by Deepak Chopra and Andrew Weil and learning about what was called alternative medicine at the time, which I don't like as a term because I really think integrative. We want to integrate everything together. Absolutely, yeah. So a, I pick up a book by Dr. Herbert Benson called The Relaxation Response. And he starts talking about, he really explains the autonomic and the, the, the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system, you know, the part, the fight or flight versus the, the part of the nervous system that, that you feel when you're relaxed, mm. when you can kind of take a deep breath and go, ah, oh. yeah. So I start doing breathing exercises and that leads to meditation and that leads to yoga. So I'm doing all of this stuff. With the purpose that I'm thinking, if I don't conquer this, I can't go to medical school. And I came up, the, I came up um, with the philosophy in my family that anything that has to do with fear or the mind can be conquered through the mind. So in other words, we don't medicate it away. We confront it. Mm -hmm. And... So I, I just learned through meditation and I was doing this for eight months. So by the time I had to go and get my uh, vaccine series for medical school, I, it was like, that was like, okay, this is the test. Like I have to go and get my first hepatitis B shot and I'm sitting in the room and I feel my heart rate going up and I start feeling the cold sweat, but I'm doing my closing my eyes and doing my visualization and breathing and it wasn't perfect. I got nervous, but I didn't pass out. Woohoo! Result. And I and I knew at that moment, okay, I just have to continue on this. And the funny thing is that I continued meditating throughout, um, especially my first year of medical school. And my classmates came to know me as as Mister Zen. <laughs> 
And I didn't tell them because this is 95. So 1995 meditation is still not quite the, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's a still little a bit, bit hippie the, woo woo. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a little woo woo. Yeah. So, you know, not, you don't want to I'm 21 years old. So I didn't tell anybody. I'm like, yeah, I'm just a really calm guy. I'm like, yeah, but I, I'm actually going home and meditating every day after school for about 30 minutes. Mm. And I had a whole routine going. What I figured out, though, is that as as afraid as I was of needles, I was not afraid of blood. So oh, wow. I could watch surgeries. I could watch someone bleeding. It did not bother me. It was just needles. And and somehow the smell of alcohol combined with needles made me kind of queasy. Oh, wow. But I, I learned to... Um, I learned to control that. And if you think about it, you know, I could have totally not become a doctor Mm. because of that one fear. Yeah. I actually came home. I came home on my third year of medical school after taking what we call the MCATs, the, uh, the pretest to get into medical school. And, and I tell my parents, you know, this is really hard. I don't know that I want to do this. I think I just want to go to wall street and work in finance. And, <laughs> and I didn't tell them what was really on my mind is that I am afraid of needles and there's no way I can become a doctor. And of course they sat me down and, and after like an hour of talking, I'm like, okay, I'm going to become a doctor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to disappoint the family, but just think now, like I can look back at that, that I, that big fear I had and look at it as a gift because it was what put me in my trajectory and shaped the type of doctor that I became because it, it really launched me and interested me in other uh, forms of um, relaxation and helping the body and understanding the stress response. And this is what we deal with every day, including with gut patients. Of course. And it's so interesting. Uh, it just sort of shows how irrational fear is uh, it's just based on often based on absolutely nothing that our rational minds can can piece together but also how some of our biggest personal challenges then end up informing some of the greatest gifts we give to other people exactly yeah and i mean i basically now dedicated my life to to this and my skill at staying zen uh, because i have continued meditating since then. And now I'm 45 years old. So I've been meditating off and on for the last 24 years. And it's gone through many, many layers. And the meditation has evolved over time. But it has allowed me to stay Zen, which is what I need to be in order to be able to take care of um, people who are stressed and having health challenges, and whatnot, because and, and also, you know, to serve as a guide to show them how the path to where they can be. Yeah. You know. And um, and, and let's kind of move on to there really in, in terms of the, the guidance that you give people. One of the, the best things I've heard you describe in a way that I find so succinct and easy for people to understand is how you explain leaky gut. So let's hear you do it. Cool. And I don't know if, my, <laughs> if it's uh, – I don't know if it's, it's sort of transformed since the last time, uh, but one way that I describe it is if you imagine that your, your intestine, which is one cell layer thick, 
And that cell layer thick has to do two functions. It has to allow important vital nutrients that are necessary for sustaining life to enter your body, while at the same time keeping out all of the toxins that accumulate inside the gut lumen and the bacteria and, and the yeast and unfriendly maybe parasites, it has to keep them out. So it's serving a dual purpose. And a lot of times I describe it as a cheesecloth. So you imagine a cheesecloth that has really, really tiny holes. And those holes are only going to allow minerals and nutrients, amino acids to get through. So that is your healthy gut lining. But when your gut becomes leaky because of the onslaught of antibiotics, of changes in the gut microbiome because of that or because of uh, the way the person is eating, so what we call the standard American diet or very high-fat diet produce, um, promotes the growth of, of pathogenic bacteria, but maybe the person's eating too much sugar so they have an excess growth of yeast or maybe they've traveled and acquired a parasite, or even you know, even from camping or being outdoors, uh, drinking stream water, you never know. Mm. And that causes the gut to become more permeable or leaky. And the way that I describe it is that imagine that cheesecloth now develops bigger holes. And now those holes can't keep out everything that it was trying to keep out, so bigger particles can come through like partially digested food particles, which the body is very um, skilled at reacting to because the body's job, at the immune system's job is to react to foreign proteins. That is its job. And food that has not been completely broken down into its component amino acids is considered a foreign protein by the body. And that's how people over time with leaky gut syndrome can develop uh, food reactions. And we also know that stress, stress I call it's like an attack on your gut and on your gut lining. So stress even influences the permeability of the gut and increases the permeability of the gut causing leaky gut syndrome. Yeah, and it's a good description. It just helps people really understand how uh, incredible yet volatile this whole system is. Um, I, I'm just always, you know, if you just really slow down to think about what you just said, it just reminds us how incredible the human body is. Um, and you mentioned stress there, um, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on how, um, because quite often what's happening is our gut becomes inflamed um, and how that then can link lead to brain inflammation. Um, or is it that it's a two-way street? I'd really like you to, um, to share your thoughts on that. Well, we know for sure that it is a two-way street. And the reason for that is that um, we know what happens to people when they have a traumatic brain injury. When you have a traumatic brain injury, within minutes to 30 minutes of the injury, your vagus nerve uh, malfunctions. So it's not firing properly. And what happens as a result, so this is communication coming from the brain to the gut through the vagus nerve. You start to develop increased permeability. So, so traumatic brain injury is actually a cause of increased gut permeability. Hmm. Now, that is really, really fascinating because, uh, I mean, that is the quickest way to cause vagal nerve uh, malfunction. Yeah. But a lot of people are walking around with vagus nerve 
dysfunction as a result of chronic stress. And can you just uh, share a definition of the vagus nerve for any newbies uh, looking, exploring their health just so they get their heads around this? I always am really conscious that we've got such a broad audience and, you know, you don't want to be the the kid who feels dumb putting their hand up for the super easy question. (laughs) So I always like to ask the super easy question so everyone can really feel like they can um, understand the whole shebang. Yeah, the vagus nerve or vagus comes from the Latin and it almost means lazy, vagabond. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because it's one of the longest nerves in the body and it winds through the entire digestive tract. And it pretty much innervates everything from the lower third of the esophagus all the way to almost the rectum. Controls things like digestive enzyme secretion and also helps orchestrate the contractions of the intestines, which you call a peristalsis that moves food through. Mm-hmm. So, and it's part of the autonomic nervous system. So the vagus is not under completely under your conscious control, even though it can be affected by things that are conscious to us, for example, like stress. So stress would be one of the big things that causes uh, vagal nerve uh, malfunction. So, so for example, like if when someone's really stressed and if they feel it in their stomach, so they may feel that food just doesn't digest well when they're stressed. Well, the vagus nerve isn't firing properly, so their stomach isn't secreting as much digestive enzyme as it needs to in order to help you digest the food. So that's just an like a real kind of example that people can feel. Like everybody's had that, those moments when they've been so stressed that food just doesn't sit well in their stomach. Mm. And stress doesn't necessarily just mean, oh my gosh, look at my inbox or, oh my gosh, um, you know, there's this uh, wild cat running towards me. It can also be stuff like environmental toxin stress, right? That we don't consciously see as stress, but it has that impact as well. I, I think even like, living in a city stress, you know, the, the, the impact of, of commuting, of dealing with traffic, of the noise, of the sirens, like things that we just think are part of our normal day to day, that we stop identifying as unique and we stop realizing what effect it has on the body. I mean, just think a person that lives in a dense city I mean, I've had this uh, with so many patients. They go out into the countryside and they tell me, wow, I had the best sleep I've ever had in a long time. Well, just think like being surrounded by forest, how different that is than worrying that you're going to get hit by a car crossing the street. You know, it's a different type of stress. No, we're not, we're not being chased by, uh, you know, by a mammoth or a saber-toothed tiger. But we're living in a heightened stress society. And even looking at social media constantly, that constant checking is actually ramping up your stress hormones. Yeah. One of the best things you can do is activate your um, screen time report on your phone, I think. Yeah. As, as it's such a great check. You can go, whoa, 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 that's way too much. And, um, or, or the other best thing, which I do, is I go on trips where I know – I'm not going to be able to access any Wi-Fi or cell signal. And I'm, I'm forced to put my phone away for a week or or more at a time. Mm. Um, But I wanted to, I wanted to talk about the reverse, which is the gut becoming 
you know, so they influence each other in both directions. So if you have a traumatic brain injury, also the gut, the blood brain barrier, which is a protective uh, barrier that protects the circulation of the brain is considered privileged in a sense. So it's, it prevents things like toxins that might enter your circulation from getting to your brain. Mm-hmm. But when you have a leaky gut, uh, one of the the significant things that comes through that is a, a huge instigator of the immune system is called endotoxin. Yeah. Or an, another word for it is lipopolysaccharide. And what endotoxin does is it it, it activates your immune system. It, it it sends your immune system on haywire, and your immune system secretes all sort of cytokines. Interestingly, though, there are receptors for endotoxin in the liver, in muscle tissue, in fat tissue, and even the brain. And when you get all these cytokines circulating through the body, they actually cause the blood-brain barrier to start becoming leaky. Mm. And then you get endotoxin that enters the brain. And you can get inflammation in the brain. So a lot of times we say that fire in the gut means fire in the brain. And a person who is presenting with maybe depression or lots of anxiety might actually have a source in the gut. And for example, we know that there are certain certain imbalances in the gut that in children with autism could cause like sudden speech delay or loss of words if they have a really high yeast load producing mycotoxins that are getting into the brain. Mm. Or we know that there are certain species of bacteria called clostridia that if they produce certain metabolites in excess uh, that get into the brain, they interfere with dopamine metabolism and they can increase anxiety. So in a child, it might seem like, you know, uncontrollable behavior in an adult it might present more like irritability, like just having a short fuse or just not, you know, not just suddenly a a change in temperament. Mm. And I actually had a a patient like that recently who was very even keel, but um, came in and and she had a number of gut issues. One of the things she mentioned is, you know, lately I'm, I'm just don't have as much patient for my husband and my kids. Mm. And we did a test that looked for that. It's called an organic acids test. Ah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we found this abnormality in the, uh, or an excess in the clostridial metabolite. And when we treated it, she kind of normalized again. Yeah. And how long did so it's that pretty, take? It's, it's, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. Um, for this, and I don't always do it, but for this, the, the clear... Um, clinical intervention, and and I I was looking at multiple um, studies and what people report, other uh, practitioners, and it was to use an antibiotic for the clostridia. Mm -hmm. And so after a short round of antibiotic, so that was about two weeks, um, and then things had to kind of settle down and we had to do some corrections with the gut because of the antibiotics, but it just took about, let's say, two to three weeks and she started feeling calmer again, more like her old self. Mm-hmm. And this was in the setting of like, this was not the only gut problem. This was like, you know, this was like a, 
a graduate level gut patient who came in with like five different problems all yeah. at once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this was one of the many ones that we uncovered as we were treating her. Uh, but it was so fascinating to see, you know, in a child, uh, it might present as just, uh, you know, acting out or poor behavior. An adult, adults able to control themselves more, but maybe there's moments where they just kind of, um, you know, bite your head off <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, okay, what's going on with you? You're not usually like this, but it just shows the, the reverse where it can, it can, there can be a source in the gut that affects the brain, or it could be in the other direction, mm. could be coming from the brain affecting the permeability of the gut, but then just think about it. Yeah, absolutely. If the brain, if a traumatic brain injury or if vagal nerve dysfunction that, that is lasts for long enough because a person is under chronic stress, what's going to happen to the gut? The gut becomes leaking. Mm. Well, now endotoxin is going to get into circulation and the brain is also leaky. So it becomes a feed forward system. Yeah. So the person is, is stuck in this inflamed state until there is a drastic intervention. And, and this is what really got me fascinated with the gut. You know, I like to say that the gut is the seat of all health. And I think it's true for a lot of things. Um, maybe some neurological conditions you really need to also, or like mold uh, mycotoxin, you have to focus on healing the brain mm. uh, and calming down the inflammation in the brain at the same time as the gut. So in other words, if the brain is really inflamed, healing the gut isn't going to quite cut it for the brain. You yeah. also have to tr treat the brain at the same time. But there are so many things where the gut is really the foundation of health when it comes to autoimmune disease, uh, when it comes to chronic diseases, uh, even diabetes, uh, blood sugar, metabolism issues, obesity, weight gain, all that is connected to the gut microbiome. So as I dove more and more into this, and partly, you know, just to kind of get back to the beginning, you asked me, well, what got you interested in the gut? When I figured out my own gut issues and healed my gut by changing my diet and incorporating probiotics and then prebiotic foods and just kind of really revamping everything, um, I started working with patients and I just became really fascinated with it because I saw people's uh, health turning around and making a big difference in people's lives. And it was the first shift in the paradigm for me that was that got me in the direction of how I really wanted to practice medicine yeah. all along. Yeah, beautiful. And, um, and so, so powerful when we have these realizations and we feel like we're practicing from a place of truth, you're going to be a much more powerful practitioner for people. Um, if what you you're doing really feels like it deeply makes sense, makes sense to you personally. Yeah. Yeah. But and, and people I think can really understand that. Mm. I think it's, I think it's important to work with a practitioner that, you know, is, is open enough to that, but also supportive of his, his or her patients in their journey. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and what better way, what better person to go through that than a person who has been through that journey themselves or journeys similar to that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think, um, you know, failing that some, a good dose of empathy <laughs> and really listening absolutely. to one's patient for the answers. 
Um, I mean, that is that that is the one thing about the style of medicine and what what really um, took me to this, because I think um, even though I never met my grandfather, my grandfather was a doctor in Cuba who partly saw his patients on horseback. Oh, I love it. Wow. And he was he was living and working in the the middle of the island, um, more in the countryside. And just think about the relationships that that built. And that was the type of doctor that I wanted to be. And modern medicine, the, the, the average duration of a visit is about seven minutes. There, I, I don't know what you can accomplish in seven minutes, but certainly you can't listen to a person's story in seven minutes. Mm. Yeah, no, it's not possible. I remember um, I, I'm recovering from mold illness myself, and, uh, and I'd love to dive into that a little, in a little minute. But I remember as I was trying to figure out what the heck was going on because it's a multi-system disorder, everything from the brain to the gut and literally every organ in between is affected uh, to varying degrees. And, uh, and I just remember starting to be told things like, and this was, you know, I was in a really dark place. These symptoms were very, very severe. And I remember just being told, you know, you obviously just have too much on your plate. It's, it's adrenal fatigue or... Um, you know, go see a sleep psychologist. And, and, and these are the things that you can only say when you have a very short amount of time with people and you go, Oh yeah, yeah, that just sounds like a really stressed out person. Off you go, go do this. And I remember when I first saw a practitioner who was versed in um, mold illness, once I had a bit of a clue that that might be what's going on for me, I remember filling out the first visit form that alone took me five hours. It was so thorough and detailed. And our first appointment was an hour and a half long. And I was like, wow, you know, now we're talking. And I really felt it, it was a story that was complex enough to take an hour and a half to tell it. And often, um, you know, often we just don't have the kind of system that allows for that right now, unless you move slightly to the left and find a good integrative practitioner. Absolutely. Mm. And I think that's uh, when it comes to gut health, Western medicine doesn't know what to do with it. Yeah. You know, other than throw medication at it. And it's really not getting to the root of the matter. Yeah. And what I love about, you know, what, what I do is that I really try to dig deep and find the, the root cause mm. of poor. where people's problems are coming from. Yeah. And do you often find that there's more than one cause? It's a bit of a soup of things. I do. And, and more and more now, and I tell people, you know, cause, uh, I think it's very easy to get into a magic bullet mentality. I was going to say cause. everyone's desperate for their silver bullet, Every, right? Yeah. Everyone wants the, you know, the one thing that's causing everything, but we are a complex system. The body is a symphony where more than one instrument could be off tune and need to be corrected in order for the entire body to work in harmony. So, there can be more than one cause. And so many times, you know, if we're talking about mind, uh, mind, spirit, and body, I think that there's multiple levels of causes because there can be emotional levels of causes. Mm. Yeah, this is that, actually, that's an interesting one. Yeah, because I remember filling out this form and I was quite shocked at how many personal questions there were about my relationships and places I'd lived and and all that kind of stuff, um, uh, because so many things, yeah. so many things like, is there, are you happy with your work? 
is there conflict at your workplace that you are involved in? I can't tell you how many times I've seen people in conflict situations, either in a relationship or in relationship with a boss, mm. and they're coming in complaining of abdominal pain, of, of upper abdominal pain, epigastric pain. And so a lot of times the emotional can express itself. As I started in the beginning, I, was, uh, I had this strong connection between my mind and my gut, and so many people do. And part of the part of what I had to learn as an adult in order to have a healthy, happy gut was to uncouple that connection. So in other words, so that I could experience, let's say if I had a stress come into my life, I wouldn't then take that stress and put it right into my gut. Mm. So I had to learn how to do that. And that was kind of, again, through through meditations and visualizations and and working on um, this. This is more woo woo, but working on energy fields and kind of fortifying my energy field. Are you talking uh, about chakras and things when you say that? Chakras. Yeah, yeah you can say chakra, your aura. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> So here we are at woo-woo again. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you can therefore so easily see how people end up with the stress response that ends up with the gut response that ends up with the whole shebang. Because um, if you think about those kinds of situations where we are in conflict or there's big stress at work, massive deadline, got a pitch to the agency, all that kind of stuff that so many people experience. Those are the exact days where you would have meditation at the furthest point from your mind. You'd be like, I don't have time for that today. Are you kidding? Like, exactly. You know, and yet that's exactly what we need to be doing at those peak moments. Because it's not like stress is going to go away. Life is peaks and troughs. Um, but our attitude to stress, we can definitely fine tune when it does arise in terms what it, of what our action plan is around it. What I have found with uh, gut patients as they come in, and, and this is actually an epiphany I had uh, just uh, two weeks ago, was that when the per person first comes in, you're dealing very much at the physical level. You know, they want to know what's wrong with me, what's my diagnosis, what do I eat, and what supplements should I take to make my gut better. You know, everything is very visceral and physical. So you, so of course, you work at that level first, conquering that. And then the next level is the emotional, and I'll tag in stress with that. Like, how does stress affect you? So as I, as I work with a person, you know, getting them, so they kind of have the physical part down, they've got, they're working on their diet, they know what they're doing and the supplements and things for the gut. Then I really start to dive into, okay, let's talk about meditation. Let's talk about how you manage stress and how stress comes and gets assimilated into your body. Uh, like, where do you feel stress? So for example, I had a patient, she's in her twenties and she's got, has Crohn's disease Mm. And we've managed to keep her off of all um, medications mm. uh, and really worked hard on, on the diet and just kind of balancing the right supplements and probiotics and stuff with her. But more recently, I was having a conversation with her and she said, you know, I, I realized something I didn't realize before. She had been coming in with this, this 
tightness or discomfort in the right lower side of her abdomen. She said, you know, when I get stress, I tighten up on that side of my abdomen. Mm -hmm. And I thought, how interesting, you know, because we have a very physical symptom, and yet now we're kind of crossing over into the stress, the emotional, the, uh, the fears, all that. Yeah. So I always think that when we're, when we're going on a, a healing journey with people, we start at the physical, but if you don't then go to the mental, emotional, you're going to miss a part of what needs to be done in order to have uh, complete healing. And then beyond that, I think a lot of times you have to go to the spiritual. Yeah, so interesting. And so um, given uh, we've sort of skirted around the issue of mold a couple of times and I'm conscious of our time, but I know that you can add to this. Uh, something that's really interesting about mold, how you were talking about the brain inflammation needs to die down for the gut inflammation to also be able to die down. And it tends to be in that order when it comes to mycotoxins and the people affected. Um, When you add the issue that the liver kind of needs to help both of those guys out and do the job, Mm -hmm. but the liver is so sadly upset and toxic itself from trying to cope with this mycotoxin load for so long. A lot of people who start treatment for mold illness tend to get a lot worse before they get better because their liver's not working right. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you help patients with that. Well, there are, I would say there were two primary things. The, the, the most powerful uh, detox molecule in the body, glutathione. Mm. And for a lot of these people, so if they have uh, gut issues, and you can give liposomal glutathione, which can absorb through the mucosa of the mouth, but ultimately the, you're going to get the best bang for your buck by giving someone IV glutathione. Mm-hmm. And if you're giving intravenous glutathione, yeah, you might also give intravenous vitamins because you want to have all the precursors to be able to recirculate glutathione. And what are those? And, what are those replenish them. Yeah. So like B6, okay. for example, vitamin C, uh, magnesium is very important. And these are also cofactors for methylation reactions. So glutathione is very important. Uh, of course, um, other liver-supportive nutrients like milk thistle, for example, and N-acetylcysteine, quite very key because NAC and N-acetylcysteine increases intracellular glutathione. Yeah. So, so it helps increase the glutathione inside the liver cells. So super, super key. And then another really molecule, because a lot of us are depleted of it, is phosphatidylcholine, mm. which, which is a type of lipid molecule, but it's also really key and important in uh, detoxification and methylation reactions and actually is, has been shown through numerous studies to help reverse uh, liver inflammation and fatty liver. Yeah, it's uh, my doctor is going to be so excited to hear exactly what you've just said because she's going to be like tick 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 tick. Well, yeah, 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 that's exactly what we're doing. And hmm. and you can give um, you know you can give phosphatidylcholine intravenously as oh, really? well. Wow. Um, but it has to become 
it has to come specially prepared and uh, it can't be exposed to light for too long. It's, uh, you know, it's very sensitive. Uh, but yeah, I mean, but you can give oral liposomal phosphatidylcholine, so it yes. absorbs uh, really well. And it turns out it's also needed for membrane fluidity. And when the brain is inflamed, the member, you know, you need that as well in order for the cells to be able to heal us to have better fluid membranes. So, for, so the phosphatidylcholine is working for the liver, but also for the brain mm. and very key for patients who are recovering from mold illness. You know, the, the great thing is that all of these chronic cases, you know, whether it's yeah. mold, whether it's Lyme disease, whatever it is, they all are going to have a commonality of gut issues. Mm. They all are going to have that, you know, and with their own uniqueness, like I said, with mold, you get a lot of brain inflammation. And so you have to deal with the, the brain inflammation as well. Um, you can also give, you know, they also, um, patients with mold, I find, tend to suffer from mitochondrial dysfunction. Mm. And how do you work My, on that? Is oh, that everything we've just talked about or is that everything we've more? been talking about, but there's certain nutrients that are very unique for the mitochondria, which are the energy centers in every cell. And you need them to be working properly so that your cells can be healthy and, and happy. Uh, and there are nutrients like L-carnitine mm -hmm. that are very important for the mitochondria, um, R-lipoic acid. There are certain um, mineral complexes that you can use, the lipoic acid mineral complex. Mm -hmm. And then um, NAD also yeah. Yeah. for the mitochondria, which you can give as uh, orally or you can also give intravenously. So there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of different things. And even for patients with gut health issues, sometimes you need to help them. If they're really inflamed, you have to help them heal from the inside out. Mm. And you can do that by putting them on intravenous nutrients yeah. uh, until their, their gut lining is healed enough that they can start absorbing well. Yeah. Amazing advice. Thank you for jumping down that little rabbit hole. Cause I know I've, <laughs> I've mentioned my mold story at every book talk because the stats show that 24% of us genetically can't detoxify mycotoxins and 40% of buildings are water damaged. So you do the math and you can see how many people just wander around oh, for decades unwell with all these random multi-system illnesses and no one's pinpointed it yet for them. I really feel for people in a, that have mold, and I have patients with mold illness or mycotoxin and mold sensitivity. And I kind of, you know, this is a point of gratitude for me because I am not in that 24% of people who are mold sensitive. Mm. Uh, so I think, well, okay, my gut is a problem or was a problem growing up. Uh, but here I am to help serve these really sick people. Yeah. And I appreciate that as a moldy. It's, um, it's amazing when we can find doctors that actually go, no, you're actually not crazy. And this is how we're going to go about this. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so we have a couple of minutes left and I would love for you to, I guess, just share if, if someone was like, oh my gosh, my gut's a disaster, it always has been, but, and I want to do something, but it all sounds so overwhelming. Where do I look? What's my individual problem? What are some of the universal things that people can do to get results for their gut health um, and to have a thriving uh, gut garden? Uh, you know, um, and, and things that people can yes. start this week. 
This is this is exactly why I wrote my book, Happy Gut. It's a good for book. Like, Thank you for, for writing it. For people like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for people like that. And my, my gut care program, which I, I made so that I could simplify the whole process for people. And, and just starting with elimination diet, cutting out the most inflammatory foods and the most harmful foods for the gut, which are wheat, gluten, soy, corn, dairy. Dairy is really big for people. Uh, legumes can be problematic just because of the lectins and the phytic acid. And also, uh, a lot of people just don't break them down easily. Mm. Um, and that includes peanuts, which a lot of people don't realize are not really nuts. They're actually legume. Yeah. Um, and they tend to be contaminated with mold. Yeah. I'm speaking of, mm. uh, so, so peanuts are out. So really starting with an elimination diet, and then working on on really varying the amount of vegetables in the diet as as you expand the diet, including fermented foods, but also just the rainbow of colors of vegetables. Because if you ask most people, they're really not eating a broad range of vegetables and fruit in terms of color schemes. Yeah. So even just getting people to really vary the color palette of the foods they eat through the plant kingdom, plant-based, uh, you can do a lot to help heal the gut. But if someone's gut is really disordered, they can't eat raw vegetables. So they may have to actually start with cooked. Mm. And then slowly as the gut heals over time, they can start going more towards raw again. Yeah, which is perfect for you guys up in the Northern Hemisphere, nice and cold this time of year. So (laughs) lots of good soups. Um, Yeah, perfect. Absolutely. Even even in the summer, like roasting some vegetables and then cooling them off and putting them on, on a salad yeah is uh it's so delicious yeah it is so delicious and i've literally got some purple yams in the oven right now as i talk to you it's 1 p.m sydney time and uh and i'm just about to put them on a big bed of rocket so oh, sorry arugula nice. arugula i oh, should yes. say speaking no, to know. an american i actually know i speak australian too <laughs> oh you so do I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I was in australia in february so i learned uh, a couple of Australian slang words and I know you guys call arugula rocket yeah we sure do um yeah and like I mean there's so much more we could talk about I feel like we need to do a bit of a part two once some of the audience questions come in so we can see like where people want to deep dive into more but I will encourage everybody to head to the show notes uh to check out uh, Dr. Pedre's wonderful book, The Happy Gut, uh, and I've got all of the details for where you can connect with him, where you can buy the book, etc., on the show notes today. So don't forget to head there. And to you, wonderful Dr. Pedre, I am so thrilled we finally got to tee this up. It's been brilliant chatting to you, and I appreciate your time. Same here. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com and there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body and mind topics as well as kids and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you, inspire you to take community action and there's amazing A to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written. You can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by a page the same name. I make everything super easy, Lotox Life, so you can find it really, really simply. 
Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Lotox Life and come join the private Lotox Life Club. In there, over time, more and more cool stuff is about to be added. It's a place where we can continue the conversations, chat about the weekly show. You're going to get bonus Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.